All right, if you turn with me in your Bibles today, we're going to start in uh, Psalm 42. I'm going to start in Psalm 42. Um, And today, it's going to be kind of a, like I told you, it's going to be kind of a continuation off of the last couple of weeks. If you hadn't listened, I encourage you to go back and listen to the last three weeks, all of November. Um... Because I really feel like God's speaking something to us as a church and as a body and as a whole. So if you hadn't heard those, go back and listen to them. But God's been talking to us a lot about the new thing that he's doing and about the transformation in us. And, and we looked at where Jesus said, you can't pour new wine into old wineskins. Right? So we got to change our mindset about some things. We, we want to see the transformation. Right? So we got to change the way we think, maybe change the way we do some things. But today... I just want to talk to you for a few minutes about the story. The story. So maybe when I, when I first say that, I want to talk to you about the story. And since we're in church and you know we're about to read the Bible, you're probably thinking about God's story. And that is a big part of it, right? God has this huge story, this big story. And we're invited to be a part of God's story. Right? We, we get to be a part of His story if we choose to so yes that's part of it but I want to encourage you today because I think this is huge I think if we want to see a transformation and and we want to be all that God's called us to be and we want to step into the new thing that God has for us then we've got to tell a new story the story that you tell must change and whether you realize it or not you're telling a story with your life And over and over, and the things that you go over in your head, and the story that you tell, and the character that you see yourself as, is huge. So we're going to talk about the story that you're telling, and I'm going to encourage you throughout this to tell a new story. You know, you can use your life to tell a sad story. And you can sit here and tell me a sad, sad story. And I can tell you some sad stories too. Some real stories, some real stuff that happened, or... You can choose to tell a happy story with the same life, right? I'm sure some of you can tell me a really happy story that was true, and you could probably tell me a really sad story that was true too. We could tell funny stories. I love telling funny stories. I like making people laugh. It's just fun to tell a good, a funny story, especially a true one. Um, last week, I'll go ahead and tell you one, just because I just told you I love telling funny stories. Last Saturday, I actually didn't plan on telling this. I'm trying to think in my mind how I'm going to tie this in. Anyways, we'll, get, we'll figure that out when we get there. Uh, I talked Jesse into going to an uh, auction last Saturday. Right, so we drove to an auction. And I don't know if you've ever been to a livestock auction. I've been to a lot of them. But in the livestock auction, there's, uh, you know, there's a big, tall fence And it's like a metal fence that goes kind of like a little half circle. And then they run the animals in one door that they're auctioning off. And they run them back and forth in there. You know, all the auctioneers up here bidding. And people are kind of like you guys are sitting. You can get all the way in the stands and bid on the animals, right? But some of these guys now, these are some of the older fellas that are real serious. And they're in there to buy a lot of cattle. And they're they're the big-time buyers. And so they get right on the front row. I'm talking about right up against the fence where that they can get up there and bid and they can be seen good and they got their little notepads out where they're sitting there writing down each cow that they buy or each goat that they buy or whatever. So these are, these are the serious older fellas on the front row. 
And me and Jesse are sitting back a few rows. We, we did end up buying a few pigs. But these guys are on the front row. This big cow comes in. And I said, man, that's a pretty cow. But she looks scared, real scared people. She was running back and forth and freaking out and running around back and forth. And, and so they hit that cow with the rod to get her just to move so that the people would bid. And as that thing turned around, like if this was the old guys right up in that front row, that cow came along and she turned around and right about the time she turned like that, she started spraying diarrhea. And she rubbed her butt all the way along that fence and I mean just sprayed this old fella. It went all over him, covered his clothes to where we could see it dripping off of his feet. It was running down the fence in front of him. It was puddled up in the floor in front of him. Then he had his dog sitting beside him because it's okay to bring your dog in there, right? The dog sitting inside him. So then the dog kept jumping off, walking around all in it, jumping up on his lap and walking it all over him. And uh, y'all, the smell was so bad. And if you know Jesse, Jesse's got a pretty weak stomach anyways when it comes to like smells and stuff like that. So Jesse was, Jesse literally had to take her hoodie and put it over her nose and mouth. Because the smell was just so bad, she was going to just gag. It stunk so bad. And this poor old cow was just nervous and had been running back and forth. So you think this fella got up when he got him some new clothes or got up and... Nah. He just sat right in it. Continued to sit there and bid on a couple of cows. And as it, he'd raise up his hand and notice it dripping down and just kind of... Hey, hey. So everybody around is kind of laughing like, man, that guy's not, he's just going to sit there in the mess. Then he got so used to it, I guess, but every time somebody would move, it would stir up that smell. Every time a dog, his dog would get out of the seat and walk by, it'd be like, that smell again is so bad. But it was like he almost didn't even notice after he sat there a while. Then he finally got up and went out and we said, okay, well, he finally left. He's going to go get him a shower, get him some new clothes. And, or at least, and maybe get him a new spot when he comes back in. Like, who would want to sit in that? You know what he did? This joker went to the concession stand, bought him a hamburger, came and sat right back in the same spot and sat there eating his hamburger. In the mess. In the smell. And he just sat there eating a the hamburger. Fed a little bit to the dog, ate a little more, bit on a couple more cows. Oh, it was, it was disgusting. Well, it was pretty funny. And... One lady, when that happened, when, when he got sprayed like that, there was an old lady behind me, and she laid her hand on my shoulder. And I turned around to see what was wrong, and she said, they need to put up signs. It's like the splash zone at SeaWorld. <laughs> he should have got up and gone and gotten him some new clothes. At the very least, he could have gotten up and gotten him a new spot, a new place, right? But he just got comfortable with it. He got used to the smell. He got so used to the smell that he went up and got him some food and sat back down and ate in that spot and just surrounded with all this mess. And, you know, like, it's a funny story. It's a true story. It, it was funny to be there. But I don't want my life to look like that that I've got all this mess around me, whether I caused the mess or whether it was somebody else or some outside thing or some abuse or something from my past or for whatever reason, if there's a whole bunch of mess in my life, I don't want to just get so used to it because I'm not willing to change or I'm not willing to walk into the new that I just sit there and eat and drink and just act like everything's okay. And 
I want to get up. I want to get clean. You know, we learned through Scripture that, that we're clean by the washing of the Word. And when we come in here and God shines a light on areas of our life where we have sin or where we have mess or where we have stink, sin is death and it stinks. Right? And so when God shines a light on it and says, oh, man, I'm sitting in poop. I want to have enough courage to get up and get out of it. Don't you? I, like, I want to have enough courage to, to step into the new that God has for me. So what kind of story are you going to tell with your life? What's the story that you're going over and over? What's the story that you're telling people? What is the character that you play in your story? You're telling a story. So take a step back and look and say, hey, man, in my story that I'm telling, in the story that people see when they look in on my life, what is it that they see? And what character am I playing in my story? Am I the hero? Am I telling a victory story? Am I telling a God story? Am I, am I telling a story of honor? Am I telling a, a victim story? An old story? You know, some of us, we talked about last week, being stuck in our past. Some of us are just telling the old story, the thing that already happened, and we can't step into the new because we're so stuck in the past. So we're just stuck telling that old story, and we never experience the new thing or what God has for us in the future because we're so stuck on that old story. God wants to use the old story, and we remember the old story. We honor the old story, but we keep looking for the new that God has for us. So what kind of story are you telling with your life? You know, the purpose of the Bible is not for me to know about God. I think a lot of people get confused with that. The, the purpose of the Bible is not for us to know more knowledge, to know more about God. It is for us to know God. Is for us to have relationship with God. See, we can never know all there is to know about God. We can't, we'll never know, and that's kind of frustrating sometimes. I spend a lot of hours a week studying and preparing messages and, and reading the Bible and looking up words and meaning. And if I really think about that, it's kind of frustrating to know, like, I'm never going to know all there is to know about God. I'll never get all the way there until one day when I step into heaven and, and I realize everything, but... I'm never going to know all there is to know about God, right? But I can grow in relationship with God every single day of my life. I can know more and more and more and get deeper and deeper in relationship. And the fact that I'll never know everything about Him, that's what makes our relationship good because it's still there's still room to grow. There's still room to keep. I think about my relationship with my wife. I probably know Jesse better than anybody in the whole world. I would think. Yeah, she says yes. I know her more than, I know more things about her than anyone in the whole entire world. And I know her patterns. I know how she thinks. I know what she does. But you know what? She still does things that I think, what? Why'd you do that? Like, still, after over 20 years of marriage, and I know her probably more than I know any other human at this point. Right? And I... And still she'll do things, and I'll think, what? That's marriage. No. <laughs> and that's a good thing. Right? That's, a, that's an exciting, that keeps you growing and learning, and we grow together. And she's the most important person to me. Right? That's how our relationship with God is. No, you're never going to know everything there is to know. Why? Because... 
she's growing and I'm growing and we're both growing closer to God. So the Bible is so that I can have a deeper relationship with God. So that I can grow in relationship with Him. I'll never know everything there is to know about God. But I know God. And I trust God. The Bible is the story of us, humans, mankind, and how we connect with God. The Bible is the story of how God became a man and made a way for us to be in relationship with Him. Again, I ask you, what character are you? In your story, you are the main character, but you may not be the character you think you are. You're the main character of your story. But maybe you're not the character you think you are. You ever been watching a movie and, like, they say what makes a movie great is if you can identify with the movie. Right? So if you're, like, watching Braveheart and you're identifying with William Wallace and, yeah, freedom, and you... You identify with, you want to identify with the hero, but have you ever been watching a movie and thinking of yourself as the hero and then like maybe the villain or the coward or somebody starts doing things that remind you of yourself and you're thinking, oh no, I don't want it, that, mm, that's more like me. What character are you in the story of your life? You may not be the character that you think you are, which may be leading to outcomes that you don't want. The Bible shows us different stories that we can tell ourselves and we can see different outcomes based on the story that we tell. So these characters that we read about, like we get to read and the Bible shows us, hey, this is the story that David told himself over and over, and these are some outcomes of his life. So that's what I want to do with our few minutes today is I'm going to show you, we're just going to skip around to five different characters, and we're going to look at just a couple of verses in their life, and we're going to just get a glimpse into their life and the story that they were telling. Ben, I'm going to skip the psalm. 42. We're going to jump right in. I think it's going to take too long. We're going to start in Genesis 3 instead. Skip Psalms. The first story that we're going to look at is at the very beginning in Genesis 3. Y'all know the story of Adam and Eve? I think we're all pretty familiar with it. When God created the world and everything was good and they lived in the garden and had all they could eat and they were naked and unashamed and everything was wonderful, right? Adam and Eve, they're in the garden. We're all on the same page. And then God said, there's only one thing you can't do. And Eve chose sin. And then Adam chose sin. And then when God came into the garden calling and said, hey, what happened? What'd they do? Immediately. Adam, why'd you eat of the tree you weren't supposed to eat of? He said, Eve, Eve, why'd you eat of the tree? She said, uh, at this point, there were only like four characters in the story. God, snake, Adam, Eve. And Adam had already blamed her, so Eve's looking around like, uh, it was the snake. 
Start blaming. It's somebody else's fault for why you messed up. So the first one, the first character we're going to look at and the first thing that maybe you're reading yourself in as in your life is the victim. Are you the victim of your story? Because the reality is a lot of people are and a lot of people live their life and that's the story they tell. I'm the victim. Like it's not my fault that I am who I am. It's not my fault that I had the parents that I had. It's not my fault that I experienced that thing. It's not like you're the victim. And this is where Adam and Eve were in Genesis 3, uh, verse 12 and 13. And the man said, The woman who thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, um, The serpent, the serpent, belive me. And I did eat. And it's just this blame. And you never take responsibility. And so you don't see a transformation. Right? You don't walk into the story that, that God has for you. See, the narrative of humanity, what we just saw, becomes the victim. And the pattern of the victim is that they live their life blaming other people. Blaming circumstances or the environment that they were placed in or parents or past. They blame someone else for who they are. The core narrative of the victim becomes, you did this to me. It's always someone else's fault. Or because of you, I am this way. And if you blame other people for your failures or for your setbacks or if you just blame other people all the time, you're the victim. It's not my fault. Right? It's because of what was done to me. If you had been through what I've been through, then you'd probably be this way too. If this is you, then here's the really hard part, right? Like for those of us that we're looking at our story and we're saying, hey, maybe I am the victim or maybe I'm the victim in some areas of my life. Maybe not across the board, but maybe there's part of my story that I am, I am the victim. And, and the hard part of that is that usually people that are, are playing the victim, right? They really were the victim. Something really bad did happen to them. They were abused. They were the victim of being born into the wrong place or a bad environment. Like, they were a victim. They were hurt. They were, like, and so it's really hard to convince someone that really was a victim, hey, that is not the role that you have to play for the rest of your life. Stop giving someone else the power in your story. You know, that's what you do. When you play the victim, right, if I say that you know, because of the things that RJ did to me a few years ago, that that's why I am the way I am now, and I, and I start becoming the victim, then I'm giving RJ the power of my story. In fact, I'm going and being the backup actor in his story. 
and giving him all the power. As long as you blame someone else, you're putting yourself into their story. I don't want to diminish the fact that you have wounds, that you have scars and pain and hurt. I'm sorry. But I do want to diminish the idea that that is who you are or all that you can be. You don't have to be the victim forever. And I'm sorry for your pain. And I'm sorry for my pain. But I need us to all know that you were never meant to be the victim. Like that doesn't have to be your character from now on. That's not all you can be. It's time to write a new story. Next one, next character I want to look at. We're going to look at Elijah. I remember Elijah, one of the most powerful prophets, maybe the most powerful prophet in the Old Testament. Elijah, he did all these great miracles. But the character we're going to look at that Elijah played, you know, one of the stories that he told with his life that we get to see in the Bible is that of the martyr. The martyr. This one seems noble. Right? Sometimes this seems like the right thing to be doing. Right? No, I'm not the victim. I am the martyr. You see, Elijah, remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago, so we won't go read the whole story. But Elijah did these awesome, powerful works. He did these, these miracles. He called out 350 prophets of Baal up onto the mountain, and he said, hey, let's all do sacrifices, and y'all call on your God, and then I'll call on my God. God sent fire and consumed his sacrifice. God showed up in a big way. And then Jezebel says, oh, I'm going to kill you. And he started freaking out and took off running and cut off his connections. And look where we find him. After all these awesome things in 1 Kings 19, just read verse 14. He's hiding in a cave, right, from running from God, running from his fear, from Jezebel, and he doesn't want to be killed. We find him hiding in a cave, and look what he has to say in verse 14. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. Everybody else is bad. They've all forsaken your covenant, and they've not done what they should do, and I have. I've done everything right. I've thrown down thy altars and slain thy prophets with the sword. And I even, only I am left. And they seek my life to take it away. You see, he had been going over and over and over this in his head. We see, if you go read the whole story, this was the second time he had said almost the exact same thing where he's just been going over it and he's saying it again to God. I'm the only one left. No one else serves you. No one else gives like I give. No one else shows up here and sacrifices like me. Oh, if everybody gave as much as I gave, we'd change the world. Nobody, this is the martyr. This is where, in your story that you're telling over and over, is you're the martyr. Well, that's where he was. You know you're the martyr 
when you think you are the only one doing the right thing. And the pattern of the martyr is that you are always overwhelmed. That's the problem we see with Elijah. He got overwhelmed. He got burned out. He dealt with depression. He, he felt like, I can't do this anymore. If nobody's going to step up and help, I'm the only one doing this. And so you get burnt out. Because you're the only one that can do it. You're the only one that can get it right. This is the martyr. It all falls on you. No one else gives as much as me. No one does it like I do. I can't trust anyone with this. I'll just have to do it myself. If I don't do it, no one will. These are things that the martyr would say. Later on, if you go read the whole story later on, God says, Elijah, you're not the only one. I actually have thousands. I have like 7,000 people that are doing what you're doing. They're still serving me. They hadn't turned their backs on me. They're, I have thousands. You're not the only one. But the story that you've chosen to, sell, to tell yourself over and over in your mind and you running away from all your connections and leaving your servant and running and hiding in a cave, you think you're the only one, but you're not. You're just disconnected from my people. Right? I got a lot of people sacrificing. You just don't see it because they're sacrificing somewhere else. They're sacrificing in different areas. God said, I got thousands. You see, if you're the martyr, it is not the fact that you're doing so much that messes up your story. It's the fact that you're telling yourself that you're the only one. That's what's messing up your story. It's not like I'm doing, you're doing too much and that's messing up the story. It's that you're telling yourself you're the only one. You don't see the sacrifice that other people are making. And that's a dangerous story to tell. And it leads to you being overwhelmed. It leads to depression. It leads to burnout. No one is dependable. No one can be trusted. No one else. No one else. I'm the only one. Any, this wording, that's the martyr. All right, ready for the third one? Maybe you're not the victim. Maybe you're not the martyr. Uh, maybe this is the story that you've been telling. Maybe this is the story that you naturally tell about yourself and how you think of yourself. Right? The innocent. I'm the, I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't, I didn't do anything bad. I didn't do anything wrong. And the character that we're going to look at for this one is going to be Matthew 27, verse 24. Um, and we're going to look at Pilate. This is when Jesus was going to be crucified, right? And they brought Jesus in, and, and they brought Jesus before Pilate. And Pilate knew that Jesus was a good man. Pilate knew that Jesus hadn't done anything wrong. Pilate's wife had a dream the night before that said that Jesus was a good man. Don't hurt this man. Don't do anything bad to this man. This is wrong what the crowd is trying to do to Jesus. Pilate knew that. He knew the right thing in the situation. All right, and look what, he, look what he says. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and he washed his hands before the multitude, saying, 
I'm innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Pilate just washed his hands of the situation. Even though he knew what was right, he just said, nah, I just don't want to be a part of it. I don't, I don't want to be a part of that because it's going to make the crowd mad. Or I don't, I don't want to step up and do the right thing even though I know what's right. I'm not going to have the courage or the boldness to step up and do the right thing. I'd rather just not make anybody mad, not make any enemies, and not do, like, and so just going to try not to do anything wrong. And I, I'm not the one that killed him, and I, I'm not the one that sentenced him to death. I, it's the innocent. You don't actually do anything good. You just end up focusing your life on not doing anything bad. And it's just a waste. Right? If, if I'm focused on doing good, right, and I'm just I'm doing, doing, doing good, and yeah, I'm gonna do some bad or make some mistakes, but I'm getting good done. But if I spend my whole life focusing on just not doing bad, well, I just need to focus on make sure I don't do the wrong thing, don't do the bad thing, don't do the wrong thing. Well, that's good. Like I I'm glad I'm not doing the bad thing or the wrong thing. Hopefully I'm not hurting people or I'm not. Right, but at the end of my life, what have I done? I'm not done anything bad. Cool. Have you done anything good? Did you ever step up and do what was right? Or were you the innocent? Was the story that you told in your head over and over? I'm just, I got to be the guy that doesn't do anything bad. Don't do anything wrong. Don't do anything bad. The problem with this is that you live your life disconnected. You see, Pilate had to wash his hands of the situation. He had to disconnect from the crowd. He had to step away from others' opinions. He had to step away from his wife's opinion on what was the right thing to do and the dream that she had. And he agreed with his wife, but yet he didn't step up and do the right thing. He had to step away from the crowd's opinion that he disagreed with because he didn't want to go against the grain or ruffle too many feathers you see you live a disconnected life if you're the innocent and you don't see much change because you're afraid to step up and be the change right? you should never really see much transformation or much change because you're afraid to step up and change anything you're afraid to step up and do the right thing you don't have the courage to do the right thing or to say the hard thing. And so you never see much growth or transformation or new, the new thing. You know, it's easier to enable than it is to encourage transformation. Right? When you're in relationship with somebody, it's easier to just enable their behavior than it is to say the hard thing, the right thing, and say, you know what? This is what you need to do. But the thing is, you're never going to be a good leader, and you're never going to see transformation if you're not willing to step up and say the thing and to stand up for what's right. Instead of focusing your life on not doing anything wrong, it's dangerous Helping people. 
right? It's scary to say the right thing or to call somebody out and say, hey, you know what? This is uncomfortable, but you can't do that. You're taking yourself down a road you don't want to go down. Hey, you know what? This is going to be hard to call you out on this, but, but you know what? If we don't ever do that because we're scared of being hurt or we're scared of ruffling feathers or we're scared of the awkwardness of a conversation or something like that, we're, we'll never see transformation. We'll never be the leaders. Right? And we'll never have the full story that we could have. You know, it's easier not to help people. But there's nothing more rewarding than seeing real change and knowing that you help somebody find freedom, that you help somebody grow, that you help somebody find relationship with God or freedom from an addiction or healing from a past wound. Or There is nothing more rewarding fulfilling than knowing you're a part of that well I'm a good person because I've never done anything bad like that's not how we should measure whether you're a good person have you done anything good we do justice how do you measure a life by all the bad things you didn't do no. Right? At the end of your life, your life will be measured by the good things you did do, not the bad things you didn't. Oh, he was a good man. He never murdered anybody. He never even murdered 20 people. That's how good of a man. That's not, they don't measure your life by the bad things you didn't do. Your life will be measured by the good things you did do. And I promise you, if you're trying to do something good and it goes bad, it'll be okay. God will give you some grace. All right, ready? Let's move on. Next one. The next one. Now, when I say this one, some of y'all are going to be, all oh, I thank God he finally got to me. This one's the hero. If you're the hero of your story, you're like, oh, finally, we got past all these other scrubs, and now you finally got to me. I'm the hero. See, if you're the hero, that's probably how you're thinking right now as I'm saying this. And uh, let's just go ahead and look at our biblical example of this one, and we're going to use a really, really just a fun character. His name's Herod. Uh, in Acts 12, in verse 21 and 22, now Herod... This, there was a lot of Herods in the Bible, and they were all pretty bad for the most part. This one, um, he killed James. Remember the disciple James? Well, he killed him, and the crowd got happy. And the crowd was, like, pumped. And so he's like, yeah, this made me famous. And so he said, let's go grab some more of these disciples, and we'll kill them too so I can get even more famous. And he grabbed Peter, and God sent an angel and got Peter out of jail. And then he said, now go get Peter and bring him up here and I'm going to kill him so that people will like me more. And they went to get him and Peter was gone out of the jail cell. So it was a pretty cool story. If you go read right before what we're about to read. Um, oh boy, Herod, he was just the hero. right? He did whatever he thought and there was no God. Like He was the king. He was the ruler. And look at this part. We're going to read verse 21. 
And upon a set day, Herod arrayed in royal apparel, sat upon his throne, and he made an oration unto them. And the people gave a shout, saying, It is the voice of a God, not of a man. Oh, he's not even a man. This is a God. And Herod's like, Yes, I am. Well, he sat on his throne and could picture this guy, and he was just really full of himself. Verse 23, and immediately the angel of the Lord smote him because he gave not God the glory. And he was eaten of worms and gave up the ghost. An angel knocked him off the throne and worms ate him and he died. That's a weird Bible verse, right? (laughs) Thank you to the writer of Acts for letting us know that he got eaten by worms. And I want to say right there that God even cares about worms. You see, the hero of the story, they always think it's about them. He didn't care about the disciples. He didn't care about Peter. He just cared about him and his fame and what he had going on. And he didn't care. He'd kill people. He'd he'd do whatever because it was all about him and no one else mattered. It was only his story that mattered. It was only his kingdom that mattered. Only his throne mattered. He didn't care about the Jews. He didn't care about the disciples. He didn't care about Jesus. He cared about himself and his fame. He was the hero of his story. See, heroes say things like this, like, they're all just idiots out there sitting on chairs, right? I'm the only smart one. Everybody else should just do what I say. Nobody else needs to tell what happens here. Nobody else needs to make the plans. They're, they're not as smart as me. You should just give me your money and let me do what needs to be done with it because I am the hero of this story. If you want to be a part of my story, you can come and be a backup. But I'm the only hero in this story. The hero. I'm the greatest. If all you think about is you, you're not the hero. You're the black hole that consumes everything else in your story and makes it all about you all the time, no matter what's going on. When you step into someone else's story to help them, but then somehow by the end of the story, it's turned into a story about you. That's because you're the hero and You've somehow turned this story into the black hole that's all-consuming, and now the story somehow turns into about you. And they're trying to figure out how to help you because the story that you tell and the character that you play is that you're the hero and everything should revolve around you, and when it doesn't, there's something wrong. When you don't get to be the hero and call all the shots, you don't even know what to do. To the hero, everything in their story must be about them. And there's no room for other characters. There's not enough oxygen for anyone else to do anything heroic. Eventually, everyone else suffocates. And there's no one left in the story. And so they will try to find other people to be a part of their story. 
Why? Because other people have no value to the hero because they're not as good as me. They're not as valuable as me. They're not as smart as me. It's like the old farmer that walked outside and looked over at his wooden fence post that was holding up his gate and there was a turtle sitting on top of the fence post. And he said, I don't know who put that there. I don't know how it got there. I don't know why that's there. But I do know one thing. He did not get there by himself. Uh, he had to have some help. If you're living your life thinking that you got where you are by yourself, that's, you didn't. You're like a turtle on a fence post. No, no, we all need people. Every single one of us is where we are in life and ministry and God and everything. Like with other people. You didn't get there by yourself. We need people. There's too much pressure if you think you have to save everyone and that you're the only hero in the story. So the last one, and we'll close and be done. The last one is the one that, as Christians, I think we, we should be telling ourselves. Uh, this is the story we should tell. This is the character that we should write ourselves in as. And, and the examples that we get in Scripture, um, really, I'm going to give you two examples. But the character is the servant. It's a story that you're telling if you're writing yourself in as the servant. All right, how can I serve? Your servant. And where I wanted to look at was David. Remember, David was a man after God's own heart. And there were a lot of different examples I could have picked of David throughout the scriptures to show this point. But one was uh, in 1 Samuel 17, 1 Samuel 17, 33. It was when David was a boy. Now, this was when he was just starting out and he was a, he was a teenage kid and he went to fight Goliath. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go up against the Philistine and to fight with him. But you can't do this. For thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, right Here it is. Thy servant kept his father's sheep. From a servant. Your servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear. And took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and I smote him. And delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant, I'm just a servant. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them. Seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. Thy servant, I, just like any other servant, I mean, I was watching my dad's sheep, and a bear came, and and I just did what any servant, any shepherd would do, and I just took off and I went and grabbed the bear. Hey, David, that's not just what any servant would do. 
Yeah, I grabbed that lamb back. An old lion turned around and roared at me. I grabbed him by his beard and killed him too. Just like anyone would have done in that situation. Just a servant. I was just doing what I was supposed to do. I was just doing my job. David, you went above and beyond. No. Anybody else would have let that thing go. Oh, well. One lamb's better than all of them. One lamb's better than my leg. See you, lamb. But you see David's attitude in the story that David's telling is, I'm, hey, thy servant, hey, King Saul, I honor you. I respect you. You're the king. You're the warrior. My brothers are warriors. I'm just thy servant. And all I do is just, man, I've been serving my dad. Right? I just did what I was supposed to do. You see David's attitude, David's posture? I'm here to serve. But that ugly giant's out there screaming, and he's making fun of our God, and the right thing to do would be to shut him up. So I'm not afraid to step up. I'm not afraid to do the heroic thing. But I'll do it as a servant with my sling. The servant... You see, the pattern of the servant is they take responsibility for life. The narrative is I just did what anyone else would have done. Man, that was so awesome that you helped those people. I, I just did what anyone would have done. Man, that was so cool that you stopped when it was freezing cold and helped that, that single mom change her tire and and the heart of the servant, the story that's being told by the servant, says, man, anybody would have done that. But dude, I know you would have stopped and done that too. And you're thinking, no, I wouldn't have. I probably should have, but I might not have. See, this is the narrative of the servant. Man, I just did what anyone would have done. We all would have done that. Oh, you fed those, you fed those people that were homeless Man, that's awesome that you did that. Man, any one of us would have done that. I just happened to be the one that was there, right? See, that's the heart of the servant. Because the servant's always looking for who could I serve? Whose life could I make better? Who, who could I show Jesus to? Who could I love? Man, who, where could I give? Man, I'm so grateful for all that's been given to me. How could I not give to somebody else? This is the heart of the servant. This is what we're supposed to look like. I just did what anyone else would do. Or, or you'll hear the servant say things like this. It's what had to be done. And how in the world did you do all that? And how, how did you, like when people come to you trying to give you all this praise about something that you did, it's like, no, that's, that's what had to be done. That's what God said to do. It's just We just stepped out in obedience. And God did an awesome thing. And, and it wasn't just me. It was all of us did it. Right? That's the heart of the servant. That's when you're telling the story of your life. And you, the main character, are the servant. There's room in the story for the rest of us. See, when we're telling the story as the servant, now there's room in my story 
for you and you and you and you. And then our stories connect and we have a greater impact because we're all together and our stories are connected. Because, you know, if I'm the hero of the story, then I'm just suffocating all of y'all's little stories and it all becomes about my story. And then it's a small little bitty story and we don't make much impact. We, we don't change the world. We don't do huge, great things. It's just very limited. But if we're all telling the story of the servant and we're all connecting and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, this is the story that Jesus told. Our greatest example, Jesus, he came to the earth and he was the greatest hero ever known. And Jesus, if anyone could have been any one of these that I just talked about, right? Jesus was the victim and he was a victim. He didn't do anything wrong. Jesus was a martyr. Jesus was a martyr. Literally. Right? Every single one I just talked about. Jesus was the innocent. He was actually the one in the story I just read. That was innocent. Right? Jesus was the innocent. But he didn't tell his story. He didn't live his life as that or even the hero. He said, I came to serve. He used the same basin that Pilate washed his hands with. Jesus used it to wash the disciples' feet and to dip his rag in and to lower himself as a servant and wash the disciples' feet. And Jesus had the greatest comeback story of all time. We all love a good comeback story. That's what makes a great movie is a good comeback story. It's when the underdog wins, right? I love, uh, I love all the Rocky movies. And somehow they find a way for Rocky to always be the underdog. In Rocky 1, Rocky 2, Rocky 3, Rocky 4, Rocky 5, Rocky 6, Rocky 7, <laughs> Rocky 8, Rocky 9, Creed. Creed 1, Creed 2, Creed two. Somehow, Sylvester Stallone is 97 years old, and he's still the underdog in Creed 17. I'm, I'm joking, but kind of. Why? Because we love an underdog story. I love the movie A Knight's Tale. Well, William Thatcher taught us that a man can change his stars. Right, even if you've been kicked in the teeth and knocked down and hurt, like that makes an even better comeback story. So things were really bad for you, it's okay. That's not the end of the story. Jesus said, pick up the servant's towel and make your comeback. The comeback story is the most powerful story. The servant to the Savior. That's the story of Jesus. You know the difference in a hero and a villain? is not their powers. It's not who has more superpowers. It's what they're fighting for. Jesus had the greatest comeback story of all time. Do you know what was second? You know what was the second greatest comeback story of all time? The story of Tracy Bracknell. 
Second greatest comeback story of all time was the story of R.J. Cofelt. The second greatest comeback story of all time was, and I can sit here and name all y'all's names that could be. You see, the second greatest comeback story of all time for you in your story that you're writing with your life was the moment that you rose. The moment that you stepped into purpose. The moment that you turned it all around. The moment that you decided to step into the new and to leave the past behind. The moment that you decided to do the hard thing. To be the person you want to be. The moment that you realized what was done for you on the cross by Jesus. And you said, hey, if that much was sacrificed and given for me. I'm going to write a new story. I'm going to change the narrative. I'm going to step in purpose and live in purpose and be what he's called me to be. It was that moment that you stopped living for you and decided to be a part of something much bigger than you. You decided to tell it to start telling the story as a servant and connecting with others so that we could all be a part of the bigger story, the story of God. Let's pray. God, thank you. God, thank you for sending Jesus and making a way for us to be in relationship with you. God, thank you for offering us healing and transformation from our past. God, we love you. We want to see the new. We want to step into all that you have for us. So, God, we're listening for your voice, and we're going to obey you. We're going to pay attention to the stories that we're telling ourselves over and over. We want to look more like you. We want to believe what you said about us. We love you. Thanks for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.